Uh, please turn with me in our continuing series uh, from the Gospel of John. And this morning we'll turn to uh, chapter 14. If you have a pew Bible in front of you and want to use it, uh, we're on page uh, 1675. God's invitation to us this morning is to enter with the disciples into the upper room. The words of one that we love at the time of their parting or their major change is something that is so memorable to us all. Not long ago, Peggy and I lost our parents and her, her dad uh, was on his deathbed and Peg was there trying to console him gave him some words of encouragement that we were about, he was about to have a new, a great-grandchild. And uh, he was unable to speak verbally at that time, but he just squeezed her hand, and that, that memory abides with us as we now the grandbaby is born and we remember the, his parting nonverbal words at that time. When my dad passed away soon after, uh, we were consoling him as a family, telling him how much we loved and appreciated him and all that he gave to us, and uh, I was with him his last night and said, I love you, Dad, and he says, I love you, son. And uh, <clears throat> should have said that. Eh? <clears throat> the parting words of great people of history are also memorable. Some of us uh, took the time out of our schedules to watch uh, has been President Obama leave his, uh, leave his post and gave his parting remarks. And one of the things that stuck with me is that he, part of his talk was about the threats to democracy and the fact that if, he, if people of the U.S. ignored the threats that he was informing them about, they would do so at their peril. And that really brings us to the upper room that as he's instructing his disciples, he's leaving them his parting words and he's saying to them, if you ignore these words, you do so at your peril. Uh, so as we, as I've been thinking about this, this chapter, I was really overcome by the challenge at the beginning of my verses where uh, Philip raises something to the Lord and the Lord's answer to him was very straightforward and hit me between the ears. And he said, how long have you been with me, Philip? Uh, those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Philip. <laughs> not, not the same Philip, but I, I would invite you this morning as you just... Put yourself in that upper room this morning and put your own name beside mine. And the Lord asked you the question, how long have you been with me, my friend? And let's remember that the Lord was preparing in the upper room disciples who were going to carry on his work. And their work was a preparation of each one of their hearts and minds to the upper room of the future. And he had invited them to know that when he left them behind, he was going to go up, in quotes, and prepare a room for each one of them. And he's trying to bring them to an understanding in this chapter, and to us as well, that this life is to be lived as a preparation for the time when we will go to his upper room in heaven. And this is what life is about for those who believe him and trust in him. Context is so important when we study scripture. I'm not sure if you can read this. It's more of my, more or less my study notes. But it's interesting to see how the Lord works with his disciples with these parting words, isn't it? He's not now on a 
pedestal and the, and the great rabbi who gave the Sermon on the Mount. He's there to introduce some new things to them, but he's intervening, in, he's initiating some things with them to get their response, and then he's dealing with their response. Joel, last week uh, and the weeks before, uh, we can pick up the first column as the Lord's initiatives. Then there was a spokesman for the disciples, and that's interesting because they tended to vote for one of them to ask the current question as they moved through that time, didn't they? You can rest assured that when Peter was saying something or when uh, Thomas or Philip was saying something or Judas, not Iscariot, was saying something, uh, they were representing the questions on the hearts of the disciples as they moved through this this uh, an intimate time with the Lord. And then the Lord, uh, their response was to what he was initiating to them a question usually, or, or a request to him at least. And there's the series of the responses. And now this takes us into, I don't have my pointer handy, you know the way to where, the place where I'm going, uh, chapter 14, verses 2 through 6, is where Job brought us to last week. This week we have two interveners. Philip, show us the Father, and it is enough. And later on, Judas, how do you intend to show yourself only to us? And then the Lord's Teaching and encouragement is all wound up in a package for them uh, as he seeks to draw them from their current understanding and their current problems that he heard from or he read their hearts about uh, in the things that were to follow. So Jesus is the master teacher, but he's not just teaching us or them intellectual things. He's teaching them the things that are so important that these occupied his final words to his disciples, near, near final words and parting words to them prior to the cross, at least. And so here's the structure of uh, how, how the verses are working, and we don't have time to go into uh, all of them in detail. Verse, uh, verse 1, and I coupled it with verse 7. We're going to read the chapter as we go through it. Jesus' plea to the disciples was, You trust in God, trust also in me. And then he goes on in verse 1, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And verse 7, the plea remains there. In verse 7, If you really knew me, there's the question that we're asking ourselves this morning. Philip or Irene or Auni, how long have you been with me, friend? Do you really know me? Do you really understand the work that I'm doing in the world through you. These are the kind of things that are before us uh, this morning. This was his plea. This brought me to something I almost missed when I was studying the chapter, and the Holy Spirit just prompted me to slow down and look at Jesus' main points as he answers Philip. He, before he makes the promises that are before us in the, in the chapter, he builds a foundation for the promises that are to come. That foundation is how well do we know him. The, uh, the world uh, works uh, in business along these lines. Now I need my pointer wherever I put it. The, at the top, Someone has a request or a need. And the example I'm going to use is uh, in my business career, we were asked to, uh, uh, I was representing a technology that we had designed in Timmins. And we were, 
offering it to the world, and I had an opportunity to make a presentation to the largest copper refinery in the world. And we, the request or need in, in, a, in an agreement in the world looks something like this. Someone expresses a, requ- a request or a need to uh, a bunch of questionable suppliers on the left-hand side. That leads to, to the promiser making a, uh, a commitment or, or an offer, and uh, he promises in that offer that he can do things. And the recipient receives the offer. Most times, too often t- times, businesses fail because they don't they skip this step, the step of building trust in a relationship that is two-way. In, in, in this case, uh, Chuki Kamata, which is this very large copper refinery, had asked for a group who could deliver to them a world-class refinery of the modern era. Theirs was built uh, quite a long time ago, and that's what they were looking to us for. So if you highlight in this example of what constitutes an agreement between two parties, in the upper room between Jesus and his disciples, in that case between a a copper refinery and a supplier who could uh, give them some tools of entering the modern age. The recipient in this case is the disciples. The promiser is Jesus, but what was missing in the hearts of the disciples was the trust. And so he wants to work with them, to bring them to a position of trust before he gives them the promises. And, and that's, that's the very first step we need to take a look at our own lives when we come to the Lord is, how well do we know him? Can we rely on his person, on his character, and on the things that he's promising he will do? And then and only then can we really take hold and appropriate the promises. So that's a challenge to us all is uh, these promises are laid out, but cynicism will flow. Uh, doubt will flow. Uh, non-appropriation of the promise will ignore them unless we really stand before him in the upper room that belongs to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is sovereign over all things. Unless we put ourselves in that position before him, the promises will somehow fade away. So with that, uh, we could elaborate on a lot of this. Uh, What goes next is, is the agreement is made. And the building of trust, by the way, in our example, was a three-year process from our first time we met with them, or longer really. And they really wanted to know us. They called us down there many, many times to sit with them and convince them that we could deliver on the promises that we made to them. And so that was a long process. At the end of it, there became an agreement. And the similar thing is what Jesus was looking for with his disciples that day. He wants them to commit to him, to do, to take hold of the promises and continue, even though he was gone, to do his work. That command abides to those who will follow him, and we'll see why in a few minutes today. We are called as his own to continue his work in the world. This is not just studying ancient history. This is studying his claim on our lives today as his pe- to be his people 
and to, do, and to be his people that do his work. He says, verse 10, Don't you believe, Philip, that I am in the, and the others, that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. They're wondering, okay, Jesus is leaving. God's in heaven. Jesus has been here. What, what, is his, what is he really saying to us? Jesus hits them right in the mind's eye to understand that he, we're, we're, I am God. I am the Father. If you have seen the Father, you have seen the Father because you have seen me. It is the Father in me whose words I am saying. It is the Father in me whose work I am doing. It is the Father in me who empowers the, the, the signs, the miracles that I have been performing. And then he turns to them and says, From this point on, you do know him and have seen him. Trust in God. Trust also in me. I just pause right there. For each of us this morning, can we write our name down beside that fact and say, From this point on, we do know him. We believe that Jesus came as the eternal Son of God, entered this world to demonstrate to us who God is. He is a God of grace. He's a God of truth. He's a God of peace. He's a God of love. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God who came to deliver us from our big, the big evil in our lives and in our nations and in our world, the evil of sin. And he paid the penalty. to. He wanted to show us the depths and the magnitude of his love by dying for us. And he wants uh, those who accept that reality that he presents as a gift. He doesn't force it on anyone. He just asks us, if you really believe me, trust me for now and for eternity. So this leads us to the promises. And we're going, we have a long chapter uh, that Joe left us. and uh, in, the, in that segment, we have a number of promises that Jesus made. And I'm, hi- I'm not highlighting them all. There's a lot more than this in the chapter. But let's look through a, a few of them. In verse 12, I have written some unintelligible Greek at the top just to remind myself that this is the beginning of a new section. He's saying, okay, there's the trust part. Now he says, truly, truly. And that's a sign in Scripture usually that he is bringing us sort of to a new area, a, a new thing that he really wants us to know and understand. He says, I say to you, whoever believes or he who believes in me will also do the works that I do. So the picture is quite straightforward. The disciples are in the upper room. He's told them he's leaving. <laughs> and how would you feel if you were one of those people in that room? He's been the power. He's been the He's been the source of truth. He's been the elaborator of truth. He's been the one that healed and healed the people. And he's the one that uh, discipled them. And now he's going. What does that mean to us? So the Lord is trying to encourage them with this first promise where he says to them, when I'm gone, this work is going to go on. This work is going to continue. The words of the Father are going to be continually proclaimed through you. The work of the Father is going to continue through you. 
and the authentication as from God to you, the disciples who became the apostles or were the apostles, uh, I'm going to demonstrate to the world that you have my power with you to do these things. And you read through the book of Acts. And if you don't believe in the supernatural, don't bother picking up the book. Because it is full of God's authentication of the early apostles as the messengers of God and the doer of God's work. The, so that, that's encouraging to them, I'm sure. The next one's confusing to them, I'm sure, but I think it was a source of encouragement to them. He says, am I on the right slide here? The, he gave them a promise that they were going to do greater works than these. I can tell you, I spent a, a lot of time wrestling with the notion that how can man ever do a work of God that is greater than God himself did? Got it? <laughs> okay. So that's the, the bit of the struggle. But it, it, uh, with the benefit of hindsight, I think we can put a few sentences onto the Lord's of what he was trying to get through to them, which he tried to do over the next couple of days, weeks, and, and uh, into Pentecost and, and beyond, of course. In what way were these works going to be greater that he was encouraging them uh, that would be done through them? The first thing is that, uh, first part of it is, greater than you have been doing up till now is what he is saying. I'm leaving, but the works you are going to do are going to be greater than you you did while I was here. There's that part of it. Pretty obvious. Uh, They relied on him. He did the miracles. And now they were going to do it on their own. And if you want to just test that through the, through the story ahead, jump forward to Peter. He denies the Lord, but then he becomes this tremendously influential and empowered speaker for the gospel of Christ after the resurrection. And just look at his life and what it became, and we can begin to see uh, Peter, no longer the, the guy that hid from the enemy at the time of the cross. Now he becomes God's spokesman to the nation of Israel and beyond. The next aspect, I think, is that the works that they are going to do is greater in the sense that they would be greater in quality. There's three points I'd like to make. The first is that the Spirit of God is going to be in you. In the Old Testament covenant, the Spirit, and I don't want to divide the line too too, uh, physically here, but in the Old Testament, the Spirit was there, infused the understanding and works of people in the Old Testament. But Jesus says something, and we need to try to absorb it. He says, the Spirit of God was with you. He, and I emphasize he, the Holy Spirit is a person, not a, not a cosmic force, as Eve was reminding us at communion. He is the personal God, person three, who is now going to reside in your lives. Now, That makes our body the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if that isn't a challenge to each and every one of us to try and take hold of what that means, we'll look at the challenges in a a few moments. God, the Spirit, disciples, and those who come forward in faith, the Holy Spirit is going to reside in you. And you will become his temple. We've talked about this. The, the, The messengers will be authenticated by that both the message and the signs to authenticate that message. The third point, I think, is pivotal, though, as to what, it, what changed for the work of the disciples that was different 
before this time and after this time, and that's the cross. We sang about it so wonderfully in these songs that remind us that that crucial point in history from God's perspective was the offering of himself through his son on the cross of Calvary to deal with sin. And at that point, all, all changed for the disciples. And that the power of the message of gospel, of the gospel, they fully began, began to understand and be enabled through understanding and the power of the Spirit to, with boldness, preach that gospel to, first of all, Israel and also to the Gentiles. So perhaps that's also part of the greater inequality. The other aspect comes from Acts chapter 1 and verse 7 is the, the greatness of their works that they were going to be doing for the Lord was greater in quantity. And I say that with some, uh, some care, but this is what the Lord said to them. He said, the duration of your work is going to obviously be some length of time. He doesn't say in Acts 1 exactly how long. But Jesus was with them for three and a half years as their, as their mentor. Now we have a longer duration looking back in the time that they were on the earth proclaiming and doing the work of, the work of God. So perhaps it's a, that's part of it. Very definitely what was a part of it is the, the reach of the gospel. First of all, they had the gospel. The reach of that gospel, he told them, was going to be in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When Jesus was there, he was focused on, as we know, the, uh, the local areas of Palestine and f- spent most of his time with the, with the nation of Israel and the leadership of Israel and grooming a set of uh, disciples. The promise of greater works. I am, if I was there, I know I would be confused, but I, I'm sure they were encouraged, particularly as the, the disciples looked back as apostles and saw this tremendous things that Jesus has said was their work. That's your mission, guys. That's what you're going to be doing. And as they look back on that, we say, Woo, woo. Us, Lord? Who, me, Lord? I don't know. It's a, it's a big calling, an awesome calling that we are given by God. Those of us who are of faith to walk the route, the path, the way that Jesus called us to walk. God never asks us to do things without giving us the resources to do it. And here he's, right after he tells them what the work is that they're going to be doing, he says, and here is the way. I want you to communicate with me. I'm going to be gone, but you can still pray to me. I want you to pray to me, to align. I know what you need. That's not the purpose of prayer is to inform God. Some of us, our prayers are kind of ridiculous, actually. (laughs) uh, There's a long dissertation to God about uh, what he should know about. He knows the future. He has it all under his control. What he wants is our hearts and minds to be aligned to his will, to understand what he's doing and to rely on his power and resources to do what he's called us to do. That's what prayer is about. And he says, I'm giving you the promise of, of answered prayer and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So he Prayer is about aligned asks, my short form. He asks us to pray in the name of Jesus. Why? To the glory of the Father. And so that God will be glorified in, in response to our prayers. How many of us really sit back and we, we get together, we say our prayer to him, 
But how many of us stand back and say, okay, Lord, it's now in your hands. I want to watch your action, your answer. He's promised answered prayer. So we should be looking for that answered prayer and understanding, oh, this is the Lord doing that. I could give so many examples of that, but you can find your own, I'm sure. But the main exhortation I have for you is to watch for his answer. He's promised he will. Now let's watch for it. And sometimes, with great patience, I know, and uh, we, we all are aware of those situations that take so long for us to see what his answer really was. He's reminding them through this that, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. Not that you might bring glory to the Father, but the Son may bring glory. It's his action. It's the work of God. <clears throat> the, last prayer, the last promise covers most of the verses and the least amount of time I have is the, the promise of uh, the Holy Spirit to come to them. And this is just a tremendous section of uh, of. Uh, his teaching of the disciples that we can't do justice to this morning. But I want us to look at, we won't read it all through. I think we're familiar with these verses, but I want you to understand, I want us to understand together a few things. Who is it that's promised to them? Uh, First of all, it's in verse 15, another comforter. Now I go to my friend uh, Richard and I tell him, I'm going to buy another truck. Now, another can mean one of two things. It can mean I love my Ford so much I'm going to buy another of the same kind, a truck and a Ford. Or I can be, I can be saying when I say that that I'm going to be buying another one but it's going to be a different type because I hate my Ford. So there's those two senses of the word another. Another of the same kind or another of the same category but a different kind. And the word that's used by our Lord is another of the same kind, right? So Jesus is saying, I'm, going to, I'm leaving you, but I'm going to provide another one just like me. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, never talk about it did this or it. The Holy Spirit is God, and he is a personal God, and he is there to help us as our comforter, and that's the second aspect of it. Well, maybe we'll do that a little later. The Spirit, he's called the Spirit of Truth, a title that could only be given to deity. We can talk about, well, we're inspired by the truth of this particular scientific event or that spiritual reality. But in the Scripture, when we hear the word Spirit of Truth, this is a claim of divinity for both Jesus and for the Holy Spirit. And that's the final uh, word used in verse 26. Who is this person? He is the Holy Spirit. All of the attributes of God reside in the one who resides in you. Isn't that something? What the Spirit will bring. This is what these verses are full of promise and this is where the disciples would surely have been encouraged as we will be. He's called the comforter or the advocate. And that is like having the this high-priced lawyer of the same training as the judge come alongside us when we're in trouble. The one who comes alongside you, and that's why the picture, and helps you through where, you're, where he's trying to bring you. Not where you want to go, where he's trying to bring you. Paraclete is the Greek word, and it means one who intercedes on your behalf. 
So when Jesus tells them he's leaving, and this goes to our communion service this morning, when Jesus says he's leaving them, he's going to heaven to intercede for us after he does the work on the cross. But in addition to that, as he's telling them, you're going to have someone inside you the same as God, one of us living and dwelling inside you to do my work through you. What is that work? The music guys are getting anxious here. I'll go through this quickly. To those who accept and obey me, residency in his own, we've covered the tabernacling, the dwelling of God the Spirit in our lives to make us like God, to make us holy, to make us holy his, to make us full of truth, sincerity, all of the things that God's character is, he wants to infuse in the characters, in quotes, he made in this room. He, he will bring to your mind all that Jesus said. I hope he's done that for me this morning. I'm sure I've missed a few things. But I know that the Spirit is helping me to recall what we've studied together and tried to bring that to us as we understand. He brings his, in that remembrance the critical things, his truth, his teaching. And he's going to bring the validation of trust through the promise of who he brought to us. And in that comes to our lives God's peace, God's love, God's encouragement, security without fear and worry. I guess I stepped on the wrong device. And he also is going to bring to our lives protection due to God's power. The one who made these promises to us is the one who can deliver on those promises as we trust him. He has the power. He knows what he wants us to be for him. Now it's to us to respond to his power, to acknowledge him as our Savior first of all, the one who gave himself that we might be forgiven of our sins, become his, become a part of his family, to live as brothers and sisters in, in his family, empowered by the Spirit of God to do the work of God. That's what he wants of us the way this chapter reads anyway. I'm going to call on the uh, uh, music people to come forward. And I want to just point out the last verse. And it's the same thing I'm telling those guys, those people here right now, is come now. <laughs> Not leave. Sing. But that, that's a, that's a re, we, our God is a God of invitation we were looking at in communion. He wants us to come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He invites us to salvation. But now he's inviting the disciples and you and me to live our lives doing his work, his way, according to his will, empowered by the Spirit of God and empowered by the truth of his, of his word. May God bless us as we consider these things together. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that it is your breath in our lungs, and that we welcome you in, like Phil said, Lord, that each and every one of us would welcome in and understand the Holy Spirit, and that it would empower us, and that it would change our lives, that even if we think at this point that our lives have changed from uh, when we, before we knew you, till now, Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to take that next step to to grow in you and to, to resemble you. And Lord, I just pray that you go forth with us 
Yes, we can always. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.